0: of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, beginning at verse 4. Indeed, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we would have hope. And may God, the source of patient endurance and encouragement, grant that you agree with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that with one mind, in one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, accept one another as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. For I am saying that Christ became a servant of those who are circumcised for the sake of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. He also did this so that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. And again it says rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples give him praise. And again Isaiah says there will be a root of Jesse and he is the one who will rise up to rule the Gentiles. On him the Gentiles will place their hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. We pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. To fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is the only trustworthy source of hope in this hopeless world, if you were forced to pick out one word to describe your mood in these days before Christmas, what would it be? Frantic overwhelmed, underprivileged, underpatient, um, broke, maybe, not yet, Um, dreading what is to come, the days, the nights, the gatherings with the in-laws, the work parties. What about hopeful? Would you describe yourself as hopeful in these days before Christmas? If so, what what are you hoping for? Now, sure, I know that there are probably lots of children in here and maybe some adults who are hoping for something tangible, who are hoping to receive something on Christmas, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we also understand, and it doesn't take you too long, too many years in this world to understand, that the the most important things to hope for during the holidays is not stuff, right? It's actually tied to our relationships our relationships are the things that we have hope for especially this time of season our relationships with our family with our friends with our coworkers, even our relationships with the random strangers we we run into on the belt line or in the checkout line at the grocery store those are the important things of this season right even even the unbelieving world understands that right the best, single greatest Christmas movie ever produced talks about this or leads to this, right? National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is obviously the greatest Christmas movie ever produced. And, you know, humorously, it it leads through the fact that Christmas in the end is not about the lights or the tree especially when it burns up and burns up the cat and and all of the the bad things that happened but rather it's about the relationships between family members and bringing them together in harmony and peace and I think that's that's all of our hope today as we sit here right you don't you don't intend to ruin your family gatherings this year do you you don't intend to be short-tempered with your co-workers, do you? I don't think anyone in here would say they intend to get out on the belt line this week and, and flip somebody off or curse them out. I don't think anyone in here wants to lose their temper with a cashier, a poor cashier who's overworked and underpaid just because they won't accept your coupons, right? I don't think anyone wants to do any of those things. We have these high hopes for our relationships, and yet... We've all experienced past Christmases where that hasn't happened, where exactly the opposite has happened, where our relationships have been ruined, have been broken because of something that we've thought or said or done. And so that's the question that we ask this morning that Paul helps us answer is, where is the hope in this holiday? The first thing we have to answer, though, is where isn't the hope? What is the source of all the hopelessness that we see all around us. Now, the world may have answers for that question. Why is there so much hopelessness in our world? They may say, well, it's because of inflation. Or it's because of that war going on in Ukraine. Or it's because uh, we can't afford to give our loved ones what we want to give them. Or it's because of substance abuse at this time of year. Or it's because we're just so stressed out with trying to make ends meet. They may say all of those things, but that's not really getting to the root of why there is so much hopelessness in our world. And I would argue that as Lutherans, we can articulate the source of hopelessness in ourselves and in this world at large as well, if not better, than anyone else on the planet. That is, if you remember Luther's explanations to the first three articles of the Apostles' Creed, do you remember those explanations? In them... Luther lays out the source, the root of the hopelessness that even we feel this time of year. So in the first article, Luther explains how God gives us everything, but not because we have earned or deserved it. Because we certainly don't earn and haven't deserved anything good from God. We deserve only his wrath and punishment. In the second article, We hear about how Christ came to redeem us, lost and condemned sinners. In the third article, we realize that we can do nothing to change that situation. That there is no way for us on our own to repair the relationship that was broken on account of our sin between us and God. And so the the real source of the hopelessness in our world is not inflation, it's not the war in Ukraine, it's not any of these other excuses that people make. The real source of the hopelessness in our world is not out there, but in, in here. And the real reason that we're hopeless is because we are separated from God. And you see it, right? Even though only a precious few people in this world will ever admit to that, will ever understand that or confess that like we do? You see it out there in this world. There's so much hopelessness, isn't there? You hear the the stories and the surveys that come out every year at this time that right before Christmas there's more depression, there's more substance abuse, there are more even suicidal thoughts than any time of year. And it's not just because the days are shorter and there's more darkness. It's because we feel the darkness of sin welling up inside of us. Maybe you know someone who's experiencing that darkness at this time of year, that hopelessness. Maybe you are. And that's a scary thing. Because when you lose hope, that can lead you to give up for good. There's a historical example of this. In 1945, the USS Indianapolis was commissioned on a highly secret mission to deliver the parts of the atomic bomb known as Little Boy, which would be dropped then on Japan and which ultimately led to the end of World War II. The USS Indianapolis uh, successfully delivered the parts of this bomb, and as it was traveling back to its home base in the Philippines, it was struck by torpedoes from a Japanese submarine, cutting it right in half. Now, 300 of the almost 1,200 sailors who were on board the USS in Indianapolis never escaped from from the ship. They went down with the ship. 900 did, though. They escaped, and they were stranded in the ocean, swimming with, with very few life jackets and very little in the way of protection. The the terrible part is that the US Navy didn't hear about this for four days. They were out there in the middle of the ocean for four days. Um, Some historians have said that during that time, the the largest shark attack in human history happened. Uh, Sharks were swirling around them and taking them, picking them off one by one. And if it wasn't for the sharks, then uh, they didn't have water and they didn't have food. And some of them grew delirious under the, the sun and they would drink the salt water and that would make them hysterical and, and bring others, uh, you know, drag others down into the depths of the sea. But, but even, here's the, the most shocking part of that story is that even after the four days when the, the U.S. Navy found out about it and they, they sent helicopters or planes to drop supplies for them and rafts and everything, even as the planes were flying over bringing help, some of the sailors had grown so terrified, had lost so much hope that they simply gave up, took off their life jackets, and voluntarily sunk beneath the waves. They had lost all hope, even when help was in sight. And that's not limited to the sailors of the USS Indianapolis either. We know that, ha- that exact same thing happened with Judas. Judas, even though he betrayed Jesus, that sin was paid for. In fact, right as Jesus was, was going to the cross to pay for that sin, Judas, poor Judas, gave up hope and ended it all at the end of a rope. I think we all know what it's like to be like Judas, isn't it? To almost come to the end of the line and to lose Hope. To lose hope that our relationships can be repaired. To lose hope that we can ever be forgiven for the things we have thought and said and done. To lose hope that our children who may have wandered from the faith will ever be brought back. To lose hope that we'll ever be able to retire. We lose, it's so possible to lose hope about anything in this life, right? And that's the hopelessness we see out there in the world. And sadly, that's the hopelessness that we feel even in our own hearts, often at this time of year. Even as that bright day of Christmas, that day of salvation is right there, it's so easy to give up, to lose all hope. That's why we can't search for the source of hope within ourselves. Now, Paul says, in so many words, you can give up hope if you're looking in here. You can give up hope if you expect that your family's going to change, that they're all going to become perfect. You're going to have this wonderful hallmark movie gathering this Christmas. You can give up that kind of hope. That's probably not going to happen. But Paul says here is where you should place your hope. He says, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we would have hope. And so Paul is saying, here is where to look for hope. Look at the example of the people, the believers who have gone before you in Scripture. So where do we start? ESPN, back when, before it turned woke, um, when I used to watch it, they had a, a segment entitled, You Had One Job. And it was usually uh, depicting a, a, an athlete of, of any of the sports. And, and they just had one thing they had to do. You know, like a, a holder for, for a kick. He just had one thing to do. Just hold the ball so the kicker can kick it and he didn't do it. And so it was kind of a, a sarcastic little segment. And that's how I think of, that's how I feel when I remember the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, right? They had one job. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing they couldn't do in the whole garden. And they did it. And they realized that sense of hopelessness that came over them immediately upon sinking their teeth into that forbidden fruit. We see it in their behavior. They tried to hide from God in the woods. They tried to cover their nakedness and their shame with with leaves. They were utterly hopeless. But God wasn't. God came and found them. And instead of giving them the immediate eternal death they deserved, He instead promised to send a Savior for them. And the the examples in Scripture are just countless, aren't they? Where it's a hopeless situation and God injects a beacon of light, a beacon of hope. Think of Abraham and Sarah, old, and as Scripture describes it, their bodies were as good as dead when it came to being fertile, when it came to having children. It was a hopeless situation, but God came to them and promised that they would have a son. And Romans, Paul says here in Romans, that Abraham hoped beyond hope. He hoped for something totally impossible, and his hope and his faith was answered by God. You think of David, how hopeless his situation was. He had made a mockery of his kingship by sleeping with Bathsheba and then having Uriah killed in order to cover it up. In his own words in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, he says that those sins were literally eating him alive. Physically and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually, they were killing him. There was no hope. And yet, when he confessed those sins to his pastor, to Nathan... Remember what Nathan said, right? Your sin has been taken away. You will not die. Think of Israel at the time of Ezekiel. They're in exile in Babylon. There seems to be no hope for them to ever return. And the Lord shows Ezekiel that that valley of the dry bones. You know, bones and bones and dry bones. And he says, Ezekiel, can these come to life? Can these be brought to life? And to Ezekiel's eyes, no. Dead dry bones do not come back to life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord in that vision brought them to life just as he would eventually restore Israel to the promised land. There are countless stories in Scripture that are written for us, for our instruction and our encouragement, and yes, our hope. Look at how many hopeless situations God stuck his finger right into and created hope. I guess the point being that With God, there is never a hopeless situation. There is never a time for us to give up. Not because we have this endless source, this endless generation of hope within us, but because God has not lost hope with us. And he proved that, right? He proved that by sending Jesus into this world in a hopeless situation. When Israel was at the very bottom, As evil as it has ever been is when Jesus came into this world. In fact, here Paul calls Jesus the root of Jesse. And to the eyes of many, Israel was a tree that had been chopped off. That all that was left was a stump. But in that stump the Lord planted Jesus. He rose out of nowhere to bring hope. And even as he was rejected and mocked and beaten and tortured and then finally hung on a cross by his enemies, he never lost hope. He never gave up on his father's plan, even though it never seemed like it would ever work. How does him dying save the world? He never lost hope in God. But here's the terrifying thing. God did lose hope in him. That cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is Jesus' expression of God giving up totally on his perfect son. Total hopelessness is what Jesus experienced on that cross. And total hopelessness is really an apt description of what hell is. When not only have you given up on God, but God Has given up on you. It doesn't get any worse than that. But Jesus experienced that hopelessness on the cross for you in your place, so you never would have to. You never would have to wonder, Has God given up hope on me? You know, we've all had coaches or teachers or even parents in the past that have given up hope. You're hopeless. You'll never hear that from God. Jesus is the guarantee. The reason there's such a lack of hope in our world every year at this time is because the hopes of this world are built on a foundation of sand. And maybe we have built some of our hopes for this season on a foundation of sand. You grandparents, you really want your grandchildren to like that present you got them, right? Uh, Little did you know that just last week, a newer, better version of whatever that was came out and that's what they'd really prefer instead. Now that all this COVID madness is, is somewhat over with, maybe we hope that we can finally get the family all together again around the table. Well, let me introduce you to what they're calling the tridemic, which is not only COVID, but also the flu and RSV, which has, if it hasn't already ruined your Thanksgiving like it did ours, it may ruin your, your Christmas celebrations. You may have all sorts of different hopes. Maybe you hope, maybe you hope that as you're driving home after gathering with the in-laws, that you won't be tempted to mutter some nasty words under your breath to your spouse, or to just think them in your mind. Do you hope that? I would say from personal experience, I wouldn't get your hopes up for that actually being the case. If our hopes are anchored in here or in the people around us, those hopes are going to be dashed. And then the situation truly will be hopeless. But there still is hope. And it's interesting how Paul closes here. He calls God the God of hope. It's a, it's a possessive meaning that God owns hope. Hope is his and no one can take it from him. It will never, he'll never lose Hope. And again, I think we can, as Lutherans, we can articulate what exactly that means for us as comfort and as a source of endless hope for us as we move closer and closer to Christmas as well, if not better, than anyone on the earth. Again, let's go back to the Apostles' Creed and Luther's explanation of it. Listen to how clearly he articulates the hope that God has placed in us and shows for us. So Luther says that God gives us our clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, cattle, and all we own. Look down at your feet. Do you have shoes on right now? That means God hasn't lost hope in you. He's provided those for you. We Think about the second article. We were lost and condemned creatures, Christ redeemed us even when we were lost and condemned creatures. God hasn't lost hope on us. You think about the third article. I believe that I cannot by my own thinking or choosing believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. That broken relationship between me and God, I could never repair that. I could never cross that void that my sin created. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. And he does the same for the entire church on earth. God has not lost hope in you. And he hasn't lost hope in the people around you either. Even the people that annoy you. Maybe even the pastor that bothers you, from, that's standing in front of you right now. God hasn't lost hope in any of these people, and that is where we have the hope for our relationships as we move forward. We're not expecting that everything is going to end up like a fairy tale, like National Lampoon, Christmas Vacation, or any of those silly movies on the Hallmark Channel. We're not expecting that, and that's not promised to us by God. But here is something that you can take today that gives you hope that your relationships this year will be better than any other year. Paul writes this. He says, May God, the source of patient endurance and encouragement, grant that you agree with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that with one mind, in one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, accept one another as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. If your greatest hope for this Christmas really is that your relationships are repaired or enhanced, or made better, then, then here is where you have to start. You can't start on just having cheerful feelings in your heart. You must start at the manger and then go to the cross and then go to the empty tomb because that's where our hope is. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, he's, I should mention, he's writing to a church in Rome that was, that was devi- suffering division. There were the weak versus the strong. There were Jews versus the Gentiles. And he's saying, listen, you've got to set all those differences aside and you've got to meet at this place. You've got to meet at Jesus. Because in Jesus, you realize all the things that I've done are taken away, are washed away. And that family member that I can't stand in Jesus, all of those things that I can't stand about them, they're all washed away too. We are exactly equal as we stand in Jesus in Jesus' sight and knowing that then we can treat each other with the love and dignity and respect and understanding and patience that we know we should but you can only have that hope in Christ and my hope for you this year is that you may be able to gather with family, friends, co-workers and and praise Jesus with one voice and with one mind as Paul wants for us. So as you look at the world out there, scrambling around frantically trying to find hope in uh, gifts or desserts or cookies or family gatherings or lights or trees, you can breathe a sigh of relaxation. You can, in the words of one of those uh, famous philosophers from the Green Bay Packers. You can R-E-L-A-X. Because your hope for this Christmas doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on the people around you. It depends on what God has done for you. He is the God of hope. He owns it. He has all of it and he has all of it to give to you. He's proved it in Scripture. Think of all those different stories, those hopeless situations where God gave hope. Maybe even think of how God gives you hope right here right now, today. You can look at your shoes. That's proof that God hasn't given up hope on you. But even better would be to step forward and receive Jesus' body and blood, proving that God has not lost hope and he never will. And that is our hope this Christmas. Amen.